Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Brian Schimmel. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, after after looking over Brian's bio and talking to him a little bit, I'm excited to have him on the show. Uh, he's somebody that you know, definitely need on our team. I'm sure many of the listeners do as well. Uh, but he is with Multifamily Risk Advisors, also known as MRA, on a national. So he provides insurance and risk services for apartment investors, managers, and developers. As one of the few multifamily-specific insurance specialists in the country, MRA understands the mechanics of the industry and support their clients in a variety of ways that are unique to the industry. Their service platform allows MRA to operate as an outsourced risk manager and a true partner focused on mitigating risk while reducing per-door costs. Over their 20 years, they have gained an in-depth understanding of the apartment industry and its needs. As such, they have developed numerous innovative solutions to meet those needs by leveraging relationships throughout the insurance world. They excel in the proper placement of resources, products, and services while supporting the overall growth of a portfolio. So, Brian, thank you again for your time being on the show today. I know you have so much value you're going to provide to the listeners today. What you do is so important to us as syndicators as we're buying these large assets, these large properties. And so, but give them a little more about what your focus is and let's dive right into the type of industry that you're in and how you help us. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, no secret the scope of the insurance industry and how large it is, but, you know, kind of an unfortunate aspect, I think, of our industry is that there's so many insurance people that specialize in a variety of different niches or don't specialize so much, but just work in a variety of different niches. You know, not really allowing people necessarily become experts in any one industry. So as an agency, you know, that's kind of what we're focused on. Multifamily risk advisors is focusing on the apartment industry. And as such, we've been able to design a service platform that I really think helps people get deals done or helps people grow a portfolio because, um, you know, insurance is not anybody's favorite topic. But quite frankly, it's becoming one of the more difficult aspects of putting a deal together. And so we're able to really kind of align ourselves with the client. We like to operate as, as true partners. I know that's an overused term, but we try to kind of work towards a partnership with our clients where they have the confidence in us to know that, you know, when it comes time to insure that asset, that we're going to make sure it's insured properly and that we're not going to be the um, impediment to a deal getting done. Great. So tell me, who is your typical client? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, we kind of span the gamut with it. I mean, we have some clients that have a portfolio as large as 30, 40,000 units, but I have clients all the way down that, that, that might have 500, 600 units, somewhere in that range. So we really do kind of span the gamut in terms of the size of the portfolio. We work on a national basis. So from coast to coast, I mean, I'm doing a ton of work right now in Texas, ton of work in California, even though I'm based right here in, in Florida where a large percentage of my clients are, but we pretty much work on a national basis. I mean, as you can imagine, so many apartment operators, I mean, they don't just have assets in one part of the country. So, you know, we pretty much span coast to coast in terms of, of our expertise and experience. So I'd like to dive in a little bit about how you support your clients, what that partnership, you know, or relationship looks like. And maybe, the, you know, the ways I know, I think you had mentioned like the unique ways that you all help support clients. And, and but what does this relationship look like? And 
when should I be contacting somebody like yourself? And let's just kind of go through that process a little bit. Yeah, well, it usually either starts in two scenarios. I mean, the first scenario being maybe they're unhappy with their current service level. And obviously, we would position well, how we could address service issues that my client might have. But most often, it really just starts with the acquisition of the first asset. Somebody's looking at a property somewhere, they need to insure that property. And through one way or the other, they get introduced to multifamily risk advisors. And we kind of come in and help them get from the time they entered their due diligence all the way to the closing um, on a property. You know, if you really look at what's going on in the marketplace right now, habitational insurance is in a very difficult spot that it hasn't been in for a lot of years. Since really the first of the year, the market has been going undergoing pretty significant part, what we call hardening of the market, where its rates are going up, coverage is going down, carriers are being very picky. It's a very difficult market. And we see so many of our clients that they might grab the seller's OM, take a look at their insurance number, and that becomes their number for underwriting. And in this market, that is definitely not what you should be doing. I mean, there are some people that are getting some very significant increases. Having your coverage conform to lender guidelines, especially Fannie or Freddie guidelines, is becoming more and more of an issue, especially with regards to things like roof ages and wiring and things along those lines. So when it starts from an acquisition standpoint, we really kind of just come in and prove our worth, how we become part almost of the underwriting or due diligence team that helps get that closing over the goal line. So you you mentioned like habitational insurance. What is that? If you look at apartments in general, anything residential, you could be talking about senior, student, whatever it might be. If it's a type of property that people inhabit, that marketplace has really been undergoing, like I said, a tremendous hardening, meaning rates are going up in that area. Now, the big question is, is what's that attributed to? So you, when you look at your apartment coverages, there's three primary coverages that are in place on almost every property. There's the property insurance, which covers the asset itself. There's the liability portion, which covers things like slips and falls and such that you might be sued for. And then there's usually an excess liability labor layer, excuse me, that sits atop that general liability. So you ha- should you have a really bad claim that exhausts the limits of the primary general liability policy? So in almost every property, you're going to have those three coverages. Obviously, there's others such as flood and things like that to be um, in place in the property. But those are the three core coverages that are in place. And with regards to why is habitational becoming so much more difficult, it's really just kind of due to the claims that have taken place. I mean, don't hold me to the exact numbers, but in general, I think the industry as a whole expects about $40 billion in losses on a year-to-year basis. In 2017, I believe the numbers that I've heard was the industry took $170 billion in losses. And then in 2018, it might sound far better than 170, but the industry still took 80 billion in losses, which is twice what they were expecting. And as a result, the marketplace adjusts and, you know, they adjust rates, they adjust coverages to try to figure out some way, some path to profitability. And so if you compare this market to what's been occurring for a good seven or eight years prior to this, the market's been very soft. Rates are falling. Everybody's seeing their renewals go down. You get um, in some sort of situation where you need to get some sort of concession from the carrier. Chances are you could probably get that done if it was reasonable. And now we're finding ourselves in a much different spot. But it's all coming from losses that occurred, catastrophic losses, 
hail losses across the Midwest. The Midwest keeps getting hammered time and time again with hail. So it's all attributed to losses. Nice. So one of my questions are going to be like different types of insurance that we need to be thinking about, but it's really depending on the location, right? I guess what's been happening there over the last so many years, how is that going to affect how we're even underwriting deals? I mean, obviously, hopefully we're going to contact somebody like yourself. We're going to get an estimate, right, to make sure we're underwriting properly. And so what about from the time getting an estimate to from the time we close? We've had insurance change on a deal drastically from the time we got an estimate to the time we close. And that changes things a lot. And so can we elaborate on that process? And is there a way to, I guess, we get that estimate, how solid is that? And, and what do we need to be thinking about when we get that? Well, I mean, how solid and how accurate it is really is dependent upon who you're working with. I mean, are they just spitballing some sort of estimate that they hope's in the ballpark? Or are they really collecting the information on the front end they need to give you an accurate estimate on it? Obviously, we understand and when your money goes hard in a deal and you're banking your purchase really on the estimate that we're giving you, how accurate that our estimates need to be. To get an accurate estimate, you really need quality information on the building. I mean, what sort of square footages are we dealing with? When was it built? What was the wiring? If there's one thing that a listener takes away from today's show, it would be to understand your roof ages. Because this is a very interesting point right now that so many people are missing. And it it gets a little bit technical, but I mean, if you'd like, I would love to delve down into what's going on with roofs right now and why it's so important to get the seller or somebody to be able to tell you exactly how old these roofs are. Please. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Please. Yeah. So if you look at property insurance, insuring the asset itself, there's a couple different valuation clauses that will be used. Replacement cost, meaning depreciation, is not factored into any sort of claim payment or actual cash value, which means depreciation is. Well, in this market, if the roofs on a building are older than about 12 or 15 years old, it depends upon the carrier. The Most carriers are only going to cover it from an actual cash value basis, meaning depreciation is factored in. So if you have a 20-year roof, there's a claim, the adjuster is going to come in and the adjuster is going to adjust the claim payment assuming that there's not much life left in these roofs. Well, the real problem comes in to a lot of your lending requirements, especially with Fannie and Freddie, because Fannie and Freddie will not accept actual cash value clause on a property insurance policy. So just having somebody tell you the approximate age of a roof or something could really get you into a lot of problems when you're ready to literally sit down at the closing table and you come to find out that maybe the lender did a we had this issue a few weeks ago. We were told the age of the roofs all the way across the board. We put coverage in place, and lo and behold, the lender comes with a prop, with a PCA that stated they weren't even sure, but the PCA stated that they thought the roofs were close to 20 years old. It conflicted with the information we had, but the lender was going to go off of their property condition report, at which point they saw that the roofs would be valued on an actual cash value basis. And it almost cost the closing. We were able to actually get it over the goal line with our clients. It was many phone calls and a lot of doing to get that done. Wow. So how do we determine the, you know, elaborate on how we determine the exact age so we know that before we get too deep? If your seller can give you any sort of contracts like, hey, eight years ago, here was our contract to have all the roofs replaced, then that usually suffices. Oftentimes they don't have that. It depends upon the municipality. But if you're able to go to the um, building department and pull a permit that shows when they've got done, that's pretty definitive information. 
Oftentimes people just want to send a roofer up there to tell them the age of the roof. But to be honest with you, most roofers don't want to come up and sign their name on the dotted line and say that this roof was placed in 2008. They're never that specific. They say something like 10 years ago or approximately 12 years ago. And oftentimes that just that doesn't work for the lenders. So I would say having the seller supply you with something initially would be very important. The next step would be to get a building permit data from that. And then beyond that, you might have to bring in an engineer who gives a definitive statement on the age of roofs. Nice. Appreciate those steps too. That gives us some really good, I mean, some really good things we can do to determine this age of this roof because it sounds like it's a really big deal that we know that ahead of time. We're not getting at the closing table and, and figuring out, oh, wait a minute, what happened here? Yeah, well, you converse this. Remember how I've talked about a hard market versus a soft market. Two years ago, carrier might have been willing to cover a 20 year old roof. But in this market, they're just, they're pretty much just bound by 12, 15 years. And that's what they're, it's a take it or leave it type situation. And if you can find a carrier willing to accommodate something older than that, they're often willing to, but at a significantly higher price or significantly higher rate, which that alone sometimes might kill the deal. So just from your experience, what are some other examples of things that killed a deal that we wouldn't normally expect from your experience. They're like, it didn't happen because of this. Yeah. I would say a couple things. I would really focus on the loss history of a property and the wiring of a property. So let's look at, let's actually look at wiring first. Before, I believe it's 1973. If the property was, was built prior to 1973, there's a very good chance that it has aluminum wiring and carriers can get very sticky on that. Some carriers will not accept aluminum wiring. Usually the aluminum wiring has been remediated in some way. This again kind of goes back to some information that the seller needs to provide you. So just asking them, hey, has aluminum been remediated? And hearing yes, it has, oftentimes does not suffice. It it might get you actually through closing, but you might find out after closing, after the carrier inspects, that it hasn't been remediated. And now you're in the position of having to remediate it. So I would harp to always ask the seller if he says it's been remediated to provide you proof of how it's been remediated. And again, if they can't do that, you probably need to hire an electrician to go in there and to inspect it and to give you a statement on not only has it been remediated, but how has it been remediated. There's a couple different technologies that can be used to remediate aluminum. And it's very important to know what those technologies are because the carriers Again, each carrier can vary a little bit, but I would really focus a lot on wiring. The other one is on losses. The insurance industry looks in the past to kind of project what their rates will be into the future. And so if you're acquiring a property and that property has been subject to a million or $2 million worth of losses over the last couple of years, you're going to be paying inflated premiums on the losses that the seller had for that property. And so what would be part of my due diligence with the, if I was acquiring an apartment complex? It would be the losses. If it's an older pre-1973, I would ask for how the aluminum wiring, if it's there, has been addressed. And those would just be, and then obviously the roof ages, which we talked about. Those are the really three very important underwriting factors, right? Nice. So I wanted to ask you, is there any reason why the seller would not want to provide you that proof that the Aluminum wiring has been uh, remediated. I think oftentimes I see situations where sellers aren't very willing to just provide information 
for whatever reason. So I can't really speak to, to why that's the case. Some sellers that have been through it, they understand, they present that stuff. They understand there's really no way around it. And then I think you have other sellers that, you know, are kind of like, hey, you go find that information out on your own. And so I can't really speak to why they would do that. But some do, some don't. It just depends. I oftentimes have sellers simply say, you know, they're not releasing loss information. Well, okay, that's great. But to buy the asset, we need insurance. And to get a quote, we need losses. And it's going to be addressed in some way. Right. No, and I've never bought a building with aluminum wiring. And so that's why I was just wondering about that. Why they? It seems like if they go to that much trouble and they're trying to sell it, that they would want to provide that to you to show that it's been done. But I just wondered. And what about... Any other ways that you use anything just randomly that kills a deal? Maybe it doesn't happen very often, like aluminum wiring or roofs or that type of thing, but anything else that we really need to be watching out for when it comes to insurance? Well, in general, I would say you either can look at it from an asset standpoint or from a portfolio standpoint if you have multiple properties. From the asset standpoint, I would pay a whole lot of attention to where that asset's located. I mean, if you look at an asset that you're acquiring in Florida, here where I'm based, you're going to have a variety of catastrophic wind coverages that very few agents that don't work in wind areas really understand those and how subtle little terms that just sound so innocuous, like they would just have no real bearing, have huge financial implications should there be a loss come forth. And so I always try to to coach my clients to you know, when we're looking at their insurance, just to really understand what their financial exposure is. Because when I have clients that their only goal of having insurance is to appease the lenders, those are the ones that are usually the most exposed. And I I have other clients that want to understand every single term that they need to, so they can really assess what their financial exposure might be during a claim. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. You take a 3% or 5% wind deductible, that deductible could apply on the total insured value of the property. Could be 20 million, 30 million, whatever's a large property, or it could apply on each building's individual value. Well, those are two completely different things, but 99% of the clients I ask, if I say, Hey, what does your wind coverage look like? I have a 3%. Okay. 3% of what? That, and honestly, it would be one in a hundred that could sit back and talk to me and explain to me the differences between that 3% applying to the total value of the property or to a building. I don't think we have time in the show to like go down into every single, every single one of these would play. I would say the wind coverage, one of the bigger ones. Just really kind of understanding the, the, the terms of your policy. Most people don't want to. And that's where you need a partner like multifamily risk advisors or somebody you really trust that can sit down in layman's terms and explain to you what all of this stuff means. Because it is, it's speaking a different language. and It's a language most people don't care to learn. Right. Yeah, it's just like reading a PPM or all the Greek in there. You need somebody to help you understand some of it sometimes. How do you all stand out from other providers that are similar? It's the specialization. I have so many friends that are in the business, quote unquote, specialized, but they don't. They're in a variety of different industries. If I looked at my book of business right now, probably 96% of what I do is multifamily insurance. And so in the opening, you talked about how we understand the mechanics of the industry. Insurance is one thing. The insurance is at a certain level is a little bit the easy part of the whole thing. It's really understanding the whole industry, how the industry flows, how these assets be properly insured, where the industry is moving, because finding out 
two weeks before renewal that your property insurance premiums are going up by 30% is not the right time to be finding out about that. But aligning yourself with a partner that could sit here and could tell you six months in advance or eight months, hey, the market is in troubled water right now. Very few, in fact, nobody's getting just flat renewals. You can begin to budget, you can begin to plan. And that's just a part of understanding the industry as a whole and how the insurance companies are looking at that industry to really be able to give guidance. What's a few questions that we should be asking providers like yourself working with somebody that's an expert like you? I think right out of the gate is just how many assets do you currently, how many multifamily assets do you currently insure and where? A lot of times people start talking to the agency. Oh, well, as an agent, we insure whatever. No, you need to understand from the agent level, how many assets do you insure? Like how committed are you to this industry? What do you really know about apartment? What's going on with habitational insurance? You'll begin to figure out very quickly if somebody's an insurance expert or if they're a multifamily insurance expert by just understanding the clientele that they might be dealing with or quantity of clients in the industry they might be dealing with. That's a great take on that. I don't think I've heard that before. So asking how much the agent specifically has under management as opposed to or is insuring as opposed to the entire agency that he works for. Yeah, I mean, obviously every situation, every agency can be structured different, but I will tell you that the vast majority are not like us. We work in a collaborative team environment. Most are just individual cowboys out there trying to insure, and they might be great agents. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying it takes a long time to specialize in a space, be committed to a space like we are to multifamily and to really grow a book of business in that space. It's far easier to take clients from whatever industry you can as we all try to figure out a way to put food on the table. But but with regards to multifamily risk advisors, that, that's what we do. So, Brian, we're about out of time, but what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Oh, gosh. I, I was sitting here sound like a broken record, but you know, one of the cowboys on the other, when I first got in the industry, I sat somewhat in, in your shoes at one point. I was a... Um, Builder developer putting deals together. I did that for about 10 years before, you know, back in 08 when it went bad for so many people. And, and I ended up, I got recruited to basically go be a real estate insurance specialist by a pretty large firm. And at which point it kind of sounded like a good situation for me to leverage my experience. And I got into it and I wasn't five minutes into the job before they told me that you can't survive as a specialist and to go work and everything else. Well, meanwhile, I had just sold my company not a week before that. And in terms of you know what's contributed to my success, it was probably leaving that position, taking and leveraging what I know and partnering with people that think like I do in terms of trying to be a true, I don't know if you can compare us to doctors, but it's the difference between a surgeon and a general practitioner. Both might be highly qualified, but one really understands what they do very well. And that's ever since I've done that, my career has just skyrocketed and my enjoyment and everything. It's what I like to do. I like to, to know know one particular thing and know the ins and outs of it. That's great advice as well and a great analogy also. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And Brian, before we have to go, how do you like to give back? Well, in terms of it at a local level, there's a couple of different charities that I like to work with here. And a lot of times dealing with some issues with like kids and things like that. That's just always having three daughters the way that I do is something that's always near and dear to my heart. So there's a couple different charities that I work with here locally on that. At a national level, I get involved with some sort of environmental nonprofits that, that work in a variety of things like water quality here in Florida. It's just something that's 
seems to be getting worse and worse. And so that's kind of how I try to give back. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for your time. And before we have to go, uh, tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Sure. First of all, the name of our agency again is Multifamily Risk Advisors. I can be reached at 321-303-2840 or via email at, I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's bshummel at multifamilyra.com. So it's B-S-A-I-M-E-A-L-L at multifamilyra.com. The R-A stands for riskadvisor.com. Great. Brian, thank you so much for your time. You've really shared some very valuable tips and nuggets for us today, especially in the multifamily industry, which I know most of us are. But either way, some great questions to ask, some great things we need to be knowing about as we're going through this uh, due diligence process and getting those documents about the roof and the wiring and the losses. That's great. So thank you again. Appreciate the listeners being with us today and every day. I hope you'll be back tomorrow. I hope you've left a a rating and review. I would appreciate that and share the show. And uh, I hope your business is growing and you're learning a lot because of the show. Also go to LifeBridge Capital, connect with me. Happy to schedule a call to help you any way I can. And uh, we will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success. 